Tony Simandera is the varsity baseball coach and head of upper school for St. Christopher's Boys School in Richmond. In our conversation, Tony shares his thoughts about St. Christopher's ongoing journey of adapting to distance learning and the challenges and opportunities it presents. He also talks about his journey to becoming an educator and coach and imparts some wisdom from his 25 years of coaching baseball. Finally, Tony shared his memories of Tad DePriest and Brad Parrish, dear friends to each other and alumni of St. Christopher's, both of whom tragically passed away a year apart and far before their time. Tad's friends and family later started Tad's Kids, a nonprofit dedicated to honoring his life and serving children. To read more about Tad's Kids, what they do, and to donate, please visit tadskids.org. Here's Tony Simandera. Yeah, but uh, Tony, you and I met each other back in 1986. You were the first year teacher at St. Christopher's, just graduated college, and uh, I was a senior in high school. Yep. I, well, I had taught for a year up in Philadelphia, so it was my second year of teaching. So. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So and that, that makes sense now because I figured out your age. I'm like, I was missing a year somewhere in there. I'd forgotten you taught somewhere else. Yeah, but you're now the head of uh, the upper school at St. Christopher's, and you're the baseball coach there, quite successful baseball coach. But yeah. this year, they have canceled uh, the academic year. Uh, and they've canceled everything associated with schools, K through 12, across the entire state of Virginia. So just tell us about how you feel about that, what you think about that, uh, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, qualify your statement there a bit because we have not canceled uh, the academic year. Uh, we have uh, – the campus is closed, but we are uh, now teaching classes uh, we've gone to distance learning, and uh, as of last Thursday, uh, all of our classes are meeting. Uh, we're the kids are the kids are doing work. They're moving forward. Uh, it's a new adventure for us. It's been an incredible uh, two weeks, I would say, where uh, you know we went from well, we might have to close for you know a little bit, so let's think about that. To wow, uh, we're going to be closed for a couple of weeks to now we're, you know, cl- the campus is closed uh, through the end of the academic year um, under the governor's orders. Uh, but uh, we kind of picked up and pivoted and uh, had, had a process where we've been teaching our teachers how to teach online. And it's been amazing and it's gone very well so far, but uh, it's a new adventure uh, for us. But uh Unfortunately, all the other things that go along with school have been uh, have been shut down from athletics to uh, you know art performances, uh, all the all the end of year events, um, you know proms and dances and uh, performances and things like this, just because we can't come back to campus right now, and that's that's really a sad uh, thing uh, for uh, I, I feel particularly bad for our seniors right now. Uh, partly because we don't we don't know when this stuff is going to end, uh, and so we don't even know how to kind of plan something. Even if we can't do it at its regularly scheduled time, we can't kind of move on and and uh, give them some resolution. So it's a very strange time. Schools are you know uh, you know it's a, they're about people, and right now our people are all all over the the central Virginia area uh, having classes. You know via via uh zoom and the computer and and that sort of thing so it's very strange it's very different uh for sure yeah i i guess i 
I have uh, public school uh, kids, two are in high school, one's in middle school, and the academic year is canceled. And the public school system uh, in, I imagine, most counties and most cities just can't figure out how to do online learning. Uh, it's probably a matter of logistics. It's probably a matter of expense, that sort of thing. So it's fantastic that St. Christopher's can keep it going because I, I worry about all three of my kids and, and mm-hmm. them not being educated for an entire six-month period, potentially. Yeah, I think uh, um, uh, my uh, I have a future son-in-law who who teaches in Enrico, and uh, you know I'd asked him a couple of weeks ago, well, what what orders are you guys getting? And you know, even at the beginning of this, they were doing some things online, but they had been told that they couldn't sort of move ahead in the curriculum. Uh, they had to do a lot of review work and. You know, basically, it comes down to uh, equity issues that you know, in the in the the counties are so big and have so many students, they can't guarantee that every student has uh, internet access or good internet access. They can't guarantee that they have a computer at home that they can use or is capable of of um, you know doing some of the things that you would want to do with them. And you know, we have the luxury of having a smaller community. Um, you know, we we worry about those same issues. Uh, but because of, you know, uh, our setup, we're, we're able to, you know, offer our students that they don't have something, you know, we, we have a Chromebook that we can, we can loan them, or we have, you know, hotspots that we can loan them uh, to help them, you know, get on online and, and make this work. So it's still a concern, but I think it's, uh, you know, the scale is so different that uh, we're just fortunate to be able to address it in a way that, you know, um, I've got a couple teachers in, in Goochland County that live that, you know, they live out there and they've had to make accommodations to come closer in uh, to actually be able to teach classes because, you know, Goochland doesn't have the infrastructure, um, you know, in place to, you know, for them to be able to have high speed internet access to do streaming or video and things like this uh, across the county. So it's just, it's a county by county situation. And it's, it's just hard. Yeah, it sounds really hard. So, yeah, two weeks ago, you're thinking, oh, well, I guess this will uh, go away pretty quickly, and maybe we're out for a couple of weeks, too. Wow, we may be out for several months, and how are we going to educate our kids? Exactly. So, Tony, uh, I know you're a, you're a Philly guy, born and raised, right? Correct. Tell us what, was, what it was like to grow up in uh, Philly. Was it suburbs of Philly, or were you uh, in, the, yeah. in the city? No, I grew up in the city. Um, I, I, my my neighborhood, interestingly enough, I, I grew up in a in a neighborhood called Port Richmond, which maybe that you know <laughs> pretended to future events in my life moving to Richmond, Virginia. Um, and it's uh, one of the river wards. It's uh, you know one of the older parts of the city uh, beyond sort of the downtown center city uh, area. Uh, so close to the Delaware River, uh, if it if it brings a visual, I'm one neighborhood over from, if you remember Rocky, the original, um, you know, with the L going through the area and, the, you know, the, the uh, whatever, the pet store that was underneath the train, you know, and all those little row homes, that's one neighborhood over from mine. So uh, in the city, working class neighborhood, blue collar. Uh, pretty ethnic area. Uh, my particular area is a lot of Polish, uh, folks, uh, even today. Um, but Irish, German, 
Lithuanians, Italians, uh, little enclaves all in that neighborhood. Uh, it's kind of a kind of a neat place. Um, the way to visualize it in in my neighborhood, and when I say in this neighborhood, you could go in a ten block sort of radius, and you would come upon I think it is uh, five or six Catholic churches. So you know, think about six Catholic churches in the West End of Richmond <laughs> um, right. in blocks of one another. And, you know, the reason for that was they were all uh, founded by different ethnic groups. So I lived across the street from, you know, what was the German Catholics and the, and the Polish church was seven or eight blocks away. And the, there was an Irish church in between. There's an Italian and the, and the Lithuanian. And they, they were, you know, all founded in the late 1800s and they all built their own churches because you know the Polish people weren't going with the Irish people <laughs> and right. the Italians weren't going with the Germans and, and they all lived in the same neighborhood um, and I think they all kind of shared um, craftsmanship with one another because one group might be good at stonework and one group was good at woodwork and they would work in each other's uh, you know churches and buildings and help build them but they weren't going to you know, associate with one another back then. <laughs> yeah, my my wife grew up in uh, Northeast Jersey, and yeah, every square mile was a different uh, ethnic group. It seemed, mm -hmm. and it's it's yeah. still like that in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's yeah, cool that you know, even though they're different ethnic groups and they go to different churches, that they still you know use each other's services. Maybe maybe they do it out of necessity more than anything. But it's like you have the paradoxical like they're all separate and insulated, but then they all work together and help each other out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they, uh, when you were 10 years old, how did you spend your spare time? What, what were you doing when uh, your parents weren't around? Oh, that was pretty much across the street. I grew up, I grew up across from the church and, and um, the, uh, in the school I went to, they had a school. I went to that grammar school and it had a big schoolyard. And, you know, basically if I wasn't out of the house, you know, in a, on a summer day by nine o'clock, my mother was kicking me out um, and said, see you at lunch. And as soon as lunch was done, it was get out of the house again and see you at dinner. Um, spent pretty much every waking hour in the schoolyard across the street playing whatever season it was, that's what we played. Stickball, wiffle ball, you know, football. Uh, we didn't have a basket, uh, but we played a lot of street hockey. Um, Sometimes we played more, you know, several of those in one day. Um, and, uh, you know, it, that, every, that was the place everybody gathered. Um, so uh, long, long days in the schoolyard playing ball. <laughs> That's great. It's a great way to spend your time. And your mom knew where you were, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually uh, I, I, uh, was listening to one of your uh, previous uh, episodes. Uh, it was a uh, was a Captain Burke. Uh, yep, Gene uh, Burke. Yep, and, yeah, Gene Burke. Okay, and and y'all were talking. I think you were talking about the bells in Ashland. Everybody knew, you know, whose bell it was to come in. Right. <laughs> For us, we 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 had the uh, the the church um, across the street uh, had a bell, and at five o'clock it would ring five times, and that was that was the end of any game that we were playing, especially something like football or hockey. Um, 
you know, five o'clock was the end of the game and it was the fifth bell was the end of the game whenever it stopped. So, you know, it was like the dramatic end of game finish because everyone had to be in the dinner at five o'clock. So, uh, you know, our parents knew that that's what was going to happen. So, but they knew that that actually meant about five minutes after by the time the bells finished, you know, and then we could get our stuff and get home. <laughs> you, you had a, a so, wonderful uh, countdown every every day. It, it was, it was, it was, you know, it could be the biggest blowout or whatever, but it was like, Oh my gosh, there's one minute to go. This is the, you know, we gotta, we gotta score the touchdown and, or somebody scored, there was a hurry up uh, and, and everybody would cooperate. Cause it was, you know, when you're 10 or 12 years old, that's about as dramatic as you can get. And, that's exciting, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it was an objective, it was objective thing. It wasn't anybody's uh, decision and it was time. It was, it was literally the bell. <laughs> so how did, uh, ba- did baseball emerge as your favorite sport or were you always kind of across all of them? Uh, yeah. When you growing up, you played everything. I mean, you just, whatever the season was, that's what you did. And I actually growing up, uh, I mean, I loved them all, but I, I, I loved basketball probably the most, um, uh, you know, I was kind of your typical, you know, little point guard, you know, basketball player. I loved having the ball. Um, but you get to a certain point, like high school, and when you're still 5'2", or whatever it is, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that doesn't cut it anymore. And uh, so, uh, yeah, my, my basketball career, it was devastating. I, you know, I'd kind of given up on football because I felt I was too small when I went into high school. And then when I got cut in – freshman year from the freshman team I was devastated it's like but this is what I do during the winter I play basketball and uh didn't know you know I had to come to grips with uh sort of failure and somebody else saying you can't do something for the first time and uh and then I actually went out for baseball uh which I'd always been playing thought well this is what I do in the spring and I actually got cut from baseball my freshman year in, oh, no in high school, too. Oh, this is a great story of perseverance. I love it. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah, this is where all the ticks began. Um, <laughs> um, you know, they, they say you don't, you don't know why you go through certain things in life sometimes until later. And I, I've always thought back uh, when I did become a teacher and coach to that Uh, moment and lots of things about it from how those things were handled in a big you know I went to a big uh, Catholic high school there were 2,000 of us they were all boys and so you can imagine uh, picking 15 boys for a freshman basketball team they had their pick um, Mm. you know of kids and it was like you see in the you know the old stories you know there's there was a there was a list tape on the locker room door these guys come to practice today and you look at that list and you look at it again and you thought, well, maybe, maybe they misspelled my name or something. It has to be there somewhere. And that's a very, you know, that's a very traumatic and, and difficult thing when you're, uh, you know, 14 years old and you think that this is, it's never occurred to you that you might not make it. Um, and so you think about that, you know, when you become a teacher and coach, well, how, how would I want it that handled? Um, you know, what, what should go into that? Um, and I think, you know, that I've always thought, uh, later that that's informed how I teach and coach to some degree. 
I think it also at the time, uh, as much as I hated it, uh, it's, it motivated me to get better. Um, I didn't, I still didn't make the basketball team the next year. <laughs> um, but I decided to go out for football and played three years of varsity football. And, uh, even as a undersized guy, um, and, and then did make the baseball team. And, you know, obviously I played in college and, and things like that, but, um, there was an effect of, oh, you just can't show up and expect to play. You have to actually work at this now because there are a lot of people who are, who are talented. Um, so there, was a lot, there were a lot of life lessons in that. <laughs> it was a very hard ninth grade year. I, I, I also, though, was exposed to other things. Like in basketball, you know, I loved the game so much that I volunteered to um, be part of like the – uh, it started out as kind of managing, but it was really uh, doing statistics and, you know, whether it was keeping the scorebook or doing stats for the basketball team. I did that and frankly did that all through college, you know, as part of a college job, um, just because I, I knew I was going to go to the basketball games anyway, because I was interested. Um, and I would, have, you know, something I wouldn't have been exposed to if I'd, you know, been the 15th man on the team and sat mm -hmm. on the bench and Oh, we had a great time. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's crazy. So wonderful lesson. And, and it would have been great if you had played on the team, but uh, I think you probably got more value out of being cut, sounds like. Yeah, you know, in the long run. I mean, that, like I said, it was as a 14-year-old, that was hard. It was hard lessons. And, and, you know, I know my parents didn't know how to console me at the time. <laughs> They're just like – uh, you know, sorry. Uh, it's like, I, that's not cutting it. Um, and you know, but later on, you, you know, when you're in that position, now I'm the person who is making decisions about who is on a team or who is not. Um, how are you handling that? And, and is, for instance, today, that's never a one day or one time decision. You know, it's, I'm going to meet with every player in the program in the high school at the end of the season and talk about their season, what they're hoping to do the following year, where I see them, where the coaches see them and what they need to do to get there. So that if I have to have a conversation come springtime, you know, we can reference that conversation. We can talk about, you know, well, you know, we, we talked about your needing to, you know, play the last summer or get some lessons or, uh, you know, get bigger and stronger. Tell me about, you know, did you get in the weight room at all this year? You know, did you, did you play at all? You know, tell me what your plan was. Um, you know, and if a boy says, yeah, I really didn't do much and it's just not that important to me. Okay. Well, that's one kind of conversation, um, you know, that you want to have. And it's not, it's, it's helping him understand that he had some uh, impact on how this decision was going to happen uh, based on his actions. And that's, that's not baseball, that's education. That's growing up, that's helping them understand, you know, when you don't study for the, you know, the quiz and you get a lousy grade, you had a piece of that, okay? That's different from I studied and I just don't understand and somebody needs to explain it better to me. You know, that, that's, it's the same thing. Um, and that's what we're here for, I mean, I love playing the games. I love practicing. I love all that stuff about the game. But in the end of the day, it's just my classroom. I mean, that's really, you know, all these other activities are just another classroom for helping, you know, young people grow up. Yeah, it's awesome.
So at some point you, you uh, moved on from, cause you were teaching um, directly for a while, but then you moved into the uh, more administrative roles. Um, so do you, do you miss that about um, being just a, a direct teacher? And um, what do you, what's something that in your administrative role you, you enjoy that you weren't able to do as a teacher? Mm. I do, I do miss the classroom in uh, a number of respects. Uh, you know, I mean, I, nobody got, nobody gets into education to be an administrator and, you know, talk to parents and, create programs and do admissions and all those other things you get involved in. That's not really why you get into it. Or if you do, you're kind of missing it. You, you, you get into it because you like kids and you want to work with kids. And um, so that daily connection with kids in a classroom, not having that, 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 that I miss the, you know, trying to turn on a group of, you know, 10th grade boys to, you know, British romantic uh, poets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is is an amazing challenge, and and it's actually really cool when you know you get a sixteen year old boy to go, oh, that was pretty cool what they did with words, or that's pretty cool what they were trying to do, or how they tried to do that, or even that's the dumbest thing in the world, and here's why, and they can articulate something. That's that's really that's really fun. And I miss that. Um, uh, what I, what I like, uh, you know, I found out, you know, somebody asked me, what do you like about your, your, your job or what you do? And, you know, more than, more than any one sort of tangible thing in terms of running programs or teaching or coaching, you know, I figured out a while ago that what I'd like to do is try to get a group of people to come up with a common, understanding of what we should be doing and then execute it. So whether it's a, it's my baseball team and it's, all right, what's our goal? Okay. How are we going to get there? Who's How are we going to contribute? And how do we, how do we measure that over, you know, a 12 month period? Um, or it's an upper school faculty or a small group of the faculty. And we're trying to uh, figure out how to, better deliver on our mission as a school and, and getting that, you know, all that, all that dirty work of, or what are the ideas or how are we going to do it? What are the resources we need? That, that I love. I mean, you know, uh, as stressful as this time is right now with this move to the distance learning, um, there's an excitement about being able to stand up in front of the faculty and say, all right, everything we knew about teaching, we kind of had to put over here and we have to think about this differently. Go. All right, let's, you know, what, what's most important? How are we going to do it? What are the resources within our group? What do we need from outside of that group? And getting them to, uh, to then do that in a way that's positive, um, you know, that's, that's, that's fun. That whole leadership piece of that is, is fun. So, um, that's what I, I, you know, I do miss the classroom part. Um, but I also, you know, some of the, uh, you get, I get my juice from that kind of, <laughs> mm. that kind of thing. Um, uh, I think if you, if you probably ask my faculty, um, they would, they would say, and I think <laughs> for the most part in a complimentary way that they always feel like there's something we're working on. There's something 
new and different um, without stressing them because you, you can, you can always be chasing something and it, it has no effect. You're chasing things to chase things. Um, but if you, if you can get them to say, you know, this is a problem in our program, or this is something we could do better. How are we going to do that? And they see how it benefits the boys and how it makes the program and the school better. You're, you know, you're there. I, I found that I, it's one of the cool things I found out early in my administrative career was, um, don't be afraid to not have all the answers. And I was, you know, I was a young administrator and, you know, Paul knows some of these names, you know, Mr. Boyd and Mr. Smith and Mr. Knox and Hope Herb. And, you know, these are, these are longtime legendary figures at St. Christopher's. And I walk into my first department chair meeting and, you know, there are hundreds of years experience in the room and I'm thinking, don't start out with, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they, might, they might have just uh, slowly walked out of the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and not quietly either. They would have said, you're an idiot. And, and <laughs> um, you know, the, the only thing that could come after an I think statement in that situation was, I think you guys know a lot more about this. How can I help you make this happen? And uh, uh, it's one of the, you know, uh, I've said this to some other people. Like one of the things I will give myself credit for is sort of knowing what I didn't know and trying to let the people who were there, you know, maybe my skill was in bringing them together and, and, and trying to sort through things, but not certainly not in trying to say, you know, I've invented education and this is what we will do. It would have never worked. It <laughs> not not as a 20 something or a 50 something yeah no no yeah even today i don't i don't really try to do that because the, the truth of the matter i think that would disrespect the people who are in the trenches meaning the ones who are in the classroom every day dealing with the boys um i have to bring sort of the outside perspective but i also need to respect the inside like this is what our kids are dealing with and this is one thing too many, or we really need to tighten up on this. I need to listen to that. And if I'm not listening to that, nothing works. Yeah. And you're probably not doing your job, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, so you, you're a Philly kid. I don't know where to take this. So I'll take it this <laughs> way. Is the notion of brotherly love, is that meant to be ironic? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what era you're speaking. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't think, uh, uh, William Penn thought it as ironic, uh, at the, at the time, uh, you know, it was a grand experiment. Uh, Pennsylvania was going to be, um, a totally different type of society. Uh, if, uh, and you could see that in everything from the way center city is laid out. Uh, you know, I know, I know a little bit of history there in terms of the city, but you know, uh, it's a very orderly city. You know, you, if you go downtown, if you go east to west, you're going to have numbers. And if you go north south uh, in Center City, you're going to have trees. Um, and you could tell, you know, those streets go from one river to the to the other river. And and the city is laid out on five uh, uh, green spaces. Uh, city Hall is now on top of one of the original green spaces. But places like, uh, you know, Rittenhouse Park are still in existence 300 and some 
years later and the city was founded around these green spaces and it was supposed to be a place where it didn't matter your religious affiliation you could be there and uh be part of of this grand experiment uh you know penn being a quaker the 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 city and the well the, the colony at the time was open to all people and um so oh at the time, I don't think <laughs> I don't think it was sarcastic. Uh, most of the most of the country <laughs> most of the country would, would beg to differ these days. <laughs> well, I, I've been to a few Eagles games. <laughs> oh, that's totally different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you are you an Eagles, Phillies, Sixers guy? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you know, cried. Could when, you believe they won it? The Eagles, uh, the, in particular. Uh, no, 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 especially not playing Tom Brady like. My family was, was, you know, we were all watching and, you know, because we're in Richmond, you know, that they were not going to become Redskins fans uh, for sure. And uh, was definitely keeping them away from things like being a Cowboys fan. Um, So my kids got enough of Philly stuff that they're, you know, they're fans. Um, And we're watching this game and my wife was saying things like, Oh, they got this. They're, they're good. That is anathema to a Philly fan. You know, like, you do not say that. Right. You know, the game is over 10 minutes until they give us the trophy. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, something is going to happen, and they are going to win this game. <laughs> um, so so it, was, it was a tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, uh, thing um, because, you know, they, I'd grown up and they'd, they'd come close a couple times and played some, you know, had some good years, but nothing like that. And that was a – that was amazing. Um, really yeah. amazing. I was happy to see them win. I, I was definitely pulling for them. Yeah. Where were you when they won? Were you just watching it with your family? Yes. Uh, I, you know, uh, one of my friends and assistant coaches, he had typically had us a, uh, a Super Bowl party and he, he likes to cook and so, and he likes to entertain. So usually has a Super Bowl party and whoever's in the, in the, uh, game he'll try to get uh kind of staple food items from those uh those two cities so you know if new england's in there there's going to be you know a chowder there's going to be you know lobster rolls and things like this and um you know he we were even there one year when uh, i think green bay was in it and he had he had bratwurst and 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 rolls you know shipped in from wisconsin so it's it's legit wow (laughs) he's very serious about it Oh yeah. I mean, he's got his own, you know, he'll do, he'll do some um, uh, catering on the side and things like this. Uh, and he's good. He, he, you know, uh, he's got a, a partner who helps him and they, they do good stuff. Um, the, uh, the comfort brothers uh, is, is the, their, the name they go by. Um, I've actually heard of them. Yeah. yeah well, there you go. There yeah. you go. Um, they, I always said like, there's, if the Eagles are ever in this, I won't be here because I can't be with these people who are not paying attention to the game. Right. Right. And they're here for your food. So I was in my, I was in my living room pacing up and down and I don't, I did not sit very much during that, that game at all. I bet. Well, in the year before it was two years earlier, new England came back uh, against Atlanta, right? Unbelievable comeback. Yes. And I, and I was at that party and this, the second half and there was some discussion and I said, no, this game is not over. And they're like, oh, they're up 20-something or whatever it is. And I said, no. I said, they're going to score here. They'll get another one in a little bit. And then it's going to be at the end of the game, it's going to be a touchdown game. And the other team is going to be 
puckering up about you yeah. know, not losing and New England's just going to do their thing. And sure enough, um, I think that was the, was that the Falcons game? I think it was. Mm, yep. Yep. Yeah. It was like, here they come. <laughs> yeah. I, unbelievable. I, I think it's the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. It, it yeah. has to be right. Oh yeah. 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 It, was, it, was, it was amazing. Hey, so Tony, Philly high school, Catholic, that's a lot of Catholic boys in one high school, 2000. I, I can't even fathom that. Uh, and then you, you go to college and you stayed in state and actually you stayed in the Philly metro area for your mm-hmm. college. Why did you choose Haverford? Yeah, and I, I'll just tag on to your comment about my high school, North Catholic, which uh, actually closed about 10 years ago uh, because of the changing neighborhoods. The, the families aren't in the city anymore. My generation all grew up and, and moved out to the suburbs. So they're building Catholic high schools in the suburbs, but the ones in the city are closing. Um, when my father went there, graduated in 1953, uh, it was the largest Catholic high school in the world. Wow. They had 3,000 boys. Oh. And it was only 10th through 12th grade. That's unbelievable. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't have room for ninth grade, so the ninth grade stayed in the parishes. And uh, so I've always joked. My dad will say something like, "Well, you know, when I was in school, we won the football title and basketball title and the baseball." I said, well, "Dad, you had three thousand boys to choose from. I, right. I hope you won. I, I mean, if you didn't, there was a problem." Right. Um, so yes, <laughs> well, I guess so. And he would talk about guys who didn't make the basketball team who went and played in college, you know? So, um, so yeah, I went, I went from, I went from that to, uh, Haverford college, a small, uh, liberal arts college, just on the other side of the city on the, on the main line, very nice section of, of Philadelphia. Um, and I went there because actually because of my dad, um, the, the, uh, my, my dad and I both umpired baseball games, um, you know, it's kind of a side thing. And he went out there and did a, uh, a fall game my senior year. And my dad didn't go to college. Uh, you know, he drove onto the campus and it's the, it's the, it's the campus you see on every movie. You know, it's, it's got the rolling hills and the trees and a duck pond and kids in sweaters. I mean, it's, you know, it's got that, that old New England feel to it, stone buildings and stuff. And, you know, we grew up in the city. He didn't go to college. You know, what we knew of college was, you know, Temple and LaSalle and St. Joe's, which are all nice places, but they're urban campuses. And I think to him, this was his notion of college. Like, this is what it was supposed to look like. So he, he just had a – he was doing the game, and he, had, he got in a conversation with the, with the Haverford coach – um, who he did not know was also uh, one of the deans of the college at the time. And, you know, said, uh, tell me about Haverford. He said, I've seen, you know, scores in the paper, but I don't know much about it. And, you know, my son's a senior. I think he'd love to play some baseball in college. And, you know, he's trying to figure all this out. And, um, you know, a week or so later, I got this handwritten note from from the coach uh, who invited us out to – visit the visit the campus and uh I was like all right well you know we're not we're not doing anything <laughs> I could take a day from school and and visit um and it was a couple weeks later because it was uh I think it was in December and there had been an early snow we went out there 
campus was just gorgeous in the snow and, and, and all this. And he showed us around, we had a conversation about the, the college and all that. And, um, you know, we were, we were leaving and, and my dad said, what do you think? And I made him stop, uh, you know, <laughs> with my response. I said, well, I don't know whether the huggy or hit you. <laughs> and we're we're at the entrance of the college about to leave and he just stopped there and he says what do you mean by that and I said well this was all easy uh you know to that point I was applying to bigger schools I was looking to go into journalism applying to places like Syracuse and and uh Duquesne and 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 Temple has a good journalism program and um you know, the, the, the it was state tuition, it was good prices. I'd uh, probably get a lot of scholarship money for academics. And uh, a lot of my friends would have been going there. It was easy. It was a no, it was a no decision um, type of thing. And this was now a completely different uh, possibility. You know, the idea that maybe you could play baseball, um, didn't have journalism, but big time academics, so, you know, then I, I said, well, I guess I'll apply and see what happens. And um, in a lot of ways, that was, that was actually uh, the blessing of it all. I was not, um, I was not uh, particularly uh, anxious about whether I got in or not. It was sort of a lark. And uh, when I did, you know, the way I looked at it was, um, you know, I, I could – I could probably always go there for a year. And if I didn't like it, I could transfer to the bigger school and do what I thought I was going to do anyway. And, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, but it, it probably wouldn't work the other way that if I had gone to, you know, the big school and said, geez, I missed out that opportunity. So, I, you know, I decided to take a, a chance and, and, you know, we had a, you know, the, 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 the college was amazing in, in terms of things like their financial aid and how that all worked. And, you know, I, I, I made that decision and, and man, I think, boy, that was two totally different paths uh, 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 there. And I'd like to think that I would have made the other path work, uh, but I love the path that I, I chose. Uh, it, was a, it was an incredible experience, met, you know, people that I would have never come into contact with, um, had experiences that, you know, broadened my world uh, so much. Some of that was very hard, you know, coming from sort of inner city Philly um, to a much more diverse place, to a place where there were folks who, you know, who, who had a lot of uh, means in their, available to them as uh, uh, their, from their families and things like this. And, and seeing all that and being exposed to that, some of that was, you know, an adjustment, but it was just as much education outside the classroom as inside. Um, and it, you know, changed, changed the way I think about a lot of things, I think. So it was amazing. <laughs> All right. So you've listened to at least one episode uh, of our podcast. And so, you know, uh, the question we ask about, I don't know, halfway in and I'll let Daniel tee it up for any new listeners. We may be, uh, Yes, yeah, so, so, joining us tonight. Yes, I'll be bringing streams of new listeners to. This <laughs> <day>. <laughs> we're we're, we're <laughs> hoping we're hoping you come from a big family, Tony. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, that you picked me because I'm Catholic. Do you think I got eight? <laughs> 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 Gene Burke's also Catholic. <laughs> not not coincidental. Yeah, because the only the only people that'll listen to this are our families. But <laughs> right, it's okay. 
Um, so the question is, uh, for those that haven't heard it yet, um, given the choice at the age of 25 with no significant other or responsibility to think of, would you rather uh, join up with the military in a branch of your choosing and have a four-year uh, – We'll call it a stint. Stint with the military. Or would you, uh, for six months, um, write your own comedy bits and do a 10-minute set every week at a comedy open mic? <laughs> it's a great question by the way it is a, uh, a great question and you said the age of 25 that's an interesting choice why 25 uh, fu uh fully formed frontal lobe okay so this is not an impulsive decision this, this is this is uh you have to be really thoughtful for the first time in your life maybe <laughs> <laughs> um, well there's a reason they draft people at 18 <laughs> yeah no question no question <laughs> No, my, my father, my father, uh, um, it's one of his favorite stories. You know, he wanted to go into the military and, and sign up after high school and his, his mother would not let him. So of course, you know, four years later he got drafted <laughs> and he's, he's always said that, um, uh, you know, there's a big difference even from 18 to 21, he said, you know, we'd be doing training. He said, and you know, they'd say, okay, we're going to go up this hill and whatever the objective was. And he said, you know, all the 18 year olds are like, okay, let's go. He said, the 21 year olds are like, well, what's up there? <laughs> Is it really that important? Um, <laughs> can we talk about this? And, you know, you could, he said it would frustrate the, the, uh, the hierarchy because, you know, you were older and you were sitting there thinking, well, maybe it's dangerous and maybe I don't want to do that. So that's why I asked the question. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I've, there's a piece of me that has always um, uh, wondered about, like there's certain aspects of the, of a, of a military career uh, that, you know, I mean, I admire what, you know, people who do it uh, uh, have done and, and, and not just, you know, everybody talk about the sacrifice and yeah, that, that, that's all part of it. It's, you're choosing a, a lifestyle and a, and a, and you're entering a world uh, and you're giving up a certain amount of control uh, in doing that. And that's a, that's an amazing uh, thing. And there's parts of that that I think appeal to me, you know, we were talking earlier about what I like about my job and forming teams and wow, isn't that the ultimate team trying to get, all these different people from all kinds of backgrounds to, you know, there's not a discussion necessarily about what the objective is you're given it, but you have to get that team to then go and do that. And, and whether that's a small unit of, of people um, or eventually a whole army, um, that's an amazing thing. And I've always thought that, you know, that, that would intrigue me. That being said, <laughs> I, I have always been fascinated with comedians and and comedy i think these are some of the the smartest people around uh, there's probably also a you know in most of them i think there's this uh there's something wrong in their life that has led, <laughs> led to this path um but when you see somebody uh put together something that is really smart and intelligent and makes it funny um, and there's, and it's, you know, uh, 
I don't, I don't, I, I'm terrible at telling jokes. I, you know, I, I, even retelling a story is, is sometimes painful. Um, you know, I think I can, I can be humorous in a, you know, witty, sarcastic, uh, off, off uh, beat comment here and there or connecting odd things kind of way. Um, but people, when you, when you think of people like, uh, you know, a George Carlin and kind of the old school comedians, uh, who are, you know, commenting on something about the human condition or current politics, and they really can get into the human condition and, and it illuminate it in a way that, you know, no one else is doing. Uh, maybe other artists are doing it in different ways. I find that fascinating, you know, because you could, you could write an essay. I could write an essay, and that's neat. But he can do it and make it funny mm. and draw people in. You know, it's the, it's the, it's our version of the court gesture and, you know, in a Shakespeare play, the, the fool who can say something and we laugh, but yet there's a truth there that, you know, if it was just said plainly might be too hard to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that there's, there's some real genius there that, that, uh, I find fascinating. So if I thought that I had the ability, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd love to take a shot at, I'd, I'd love to take a shot at that. Um, you know, I guess in both cases you could be getting shot at, but just in different, <laughs> different <laughs> manners, I think. <laughs> so wait a minute, this is the 25 year old version of, of Tony Simandera. Wh which one are you choosing? Oh, I, I think I, you know, the, the 25 year old would have clearly said the time for, signing up in the military is past um, you know, now's not, you know, you missed that one. The, the 25 year old would have said, eh, you know, let's try something for a year and see what happens. Um, mm. You know, I mean, that's how I got to Richmond, Virginia. I was like, I taught, I was teaching for a year and said, well, I want to try something different, get out of Philly. Yeah, I can always try it for a year or two and see what happens. And, you know, 30 plus it's, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Yeah. So you're in the minority of our guests. Uh, I think you're the third now out of what, 11 or 12 folks? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Daniel, as uh, one of the hosts here, also chose the comedic route. And I'm actually going to uh, have him follow up since he's 26. He's essentially the guy that we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, he should try comedy for six months and we'll see what happens. I might well, have he, to go and do that. Well, I. Was, I I don't think if you are 25 or 26, you can say that I would choose it. Then I think you're saying you are choosing it. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. But the I, entire, I, the, the entire question is predicated on a hypothetical, you know, <laughs> if you had to do no, one no, 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 no. or the other. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm still working on it, Tony. He's uh, yeah. 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 Oh, if, Paul, if, if Paul volunteers to take you out one Friday night or, or third, I guess third, open mics are probably Wednesday or Thursday nights, you know, yeah, I mean, right. I would go to an open mic. I haven't been be, to one. I'd go yeah. check one out. Be afraid. <laughs> yeah. It sounds really scary, right? Yeah, yeah it does. It does. Uh, so, Tony, tell us about your family. Your dad's still around, right? Yeah, yeah. My dad's 84, lives up in uh, Mullica Hill, New Jersey, South, South Jersey, across the river, uh, lives with my sister. Um, you know, he's the grandfather in the basement. <laughs> he's a very nice setup with uh, – my, you know, I'm the oldest of three. He's, uh, he's with my sister Annette, uh, and, uh, her husband, Steve. And then my other sister, uh, Paula lives, uh, similarly, she lives South of the city now. Um, um, so they, Annette's got three kids. They're all off 
college or beyond. And uh, Paul is our, you know, out of college now too. So um, they're all, they're all up there. All my aunts and uncles, they're all still up there. Uh, I'm the lone one <laughs> down here, got out of, got out of Dodge uh, a while ago. Um, so I've got three kids. Uh, my wife, Heather is uh, a teacher at St. Catharines, teaches math. Uh, she's been in, uh, in the upper school for, well, she's been there for two different stints now. She, that's how I met her. Um, cause she was teaching at St. Catharines back in the day. And then, uh, she stayed home for a while to raise our, raise our kids. Um, and has been back at St. Catharines for over 10 years, uh, teaching again. And, uh, it's kind of interesting. Our house is, it's, it's like the Simondera schoolhouse right now. Um, because my youngest is a senior at Virginia. So he's taking classes online in one room and then uh ann who's the our middle middle child she teaches math at foxcroft school up in middleburg and uh they of course been closed as well so she's teaching classes on the other side of the hall my wife is downstairs uh teaching uh classes downstairs and my oldest daughter who uh mary who got uh, married last summer uh is often in the house uh she brings her dog over to play with our dogs and she's she's in her last year of uh law school at uh, richmond so she's taking classes online so we got two teaching classes two taking classes and i'm administrating from upstairs <laughs> it's kind of wild that's very wild we should have uh, hired a camera crew to follow you guys around <laughs> yeah it sounds like a reality tv show you can hear these conversations or what you think are conversations going on then you start listening and it's a math lesson <laughs> being talked into the computer. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Uh, you, no grandkids yet, or do you have? No, no, not yet. Uh, we'll see. May, you know, maybe soon enough. Uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. No pressure though. <laughs> yeah, none. No, my, my my dad put pressure on me from the age of like uh, fifteen, I think. <laughs> like, and he said he was very clear he's like you need to be in your 20s for sure before you start having them but i want to plant the seed now has he put any pressure on zach not yet okay not that i know of anyway zach's my <laughs> oldest yeah so well, I, I look i look forward to the day i think it'll be fantastic i can you know i'm i tend to be the instigator in the family you know if there's a if there's a dog in the house that i can rile up and get in trouble I'm doing it. If there's a young child in the house that I can rile up, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, my, my wife's always looking at me like, don't get them started. <laughs> and then they get, it's like, this is the fun of it. I, I don't have to deal with it. Like let them deal with it. like my, my sister or whoever. So, you know, my, uh, I, I think it's a, uh, I want to follow my grandfather's footsteps who, you know, my dad would always joke. He, he was always asked how, you know, do you like your grandchildren or what's the favorite part of your grandchildren? And he would say the back of their heads. <laughs> <laughs> Love to see them leave and, you know, have a lot of fun with them, but they, they, you know, you get to go put them home and, and put them oh. in the bed. It, it, it didn't click right away for Dan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not old enough. <laughs> no, he's, he's definitely not. Uh, that's funny. That's awesome. So, uh, Tony, when I went to St. Christopher's, we didn't have a prom. I think I was telling you uh, when we last met that I remember maybe one or two classes, all of high school that had uh, young ladies mm. in the classroom with us. Uh, it, now it sounds like it's a lot more uh, co-educational uh, to include extracurriculars. So tell us about the environment uh, these days at St. Christopher's for young boys or yeah. for older boys. Sorry. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a, 
you know, that's another whole uh, podcast. Uh, there's so much there. <laughs> um, but you're, you're right. I think, uh, you know, the, the quick bit of history would be that in 1990, the two schools very, uh, you know, they, they, they pretty much had made the decision that they were going to merge. Um, and the, there was a reaction, I think, uh, from alums at both schools that this is not what they wanted to see happen. And the schools backed off of that, but, but basically, you know, the charge then was you need to work more closely together. You need to do more things together. And I think that's sort of how I kind of got into the job that I'm in at the time. Um, cause there really wasn't a head of upper school The the, you know, George McVeigh, your old headmaster was pretty much nominally in charge of the high school, you know, uh, with some people taking some, some big responsibilities for academics and so on, but he was still running the high school. And I think when this came along, he knew that there probably needed to be a little bit different setup. And so I remember his saying, okay, go figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> figure what out, <laughs> you know, do more. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm going into that room then with some of the figures that I mentioned earlier, you know, these, these iconic legendary figures at St. Christopher saying, um, they want us to do more with this other school. Uh, you know, how are we going to do that? Uh, we, we came up and we came up with a structure at the time that made some sense in terms of there would be one coordinated co-ed act, uh, class at uh, every level, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, and hopefully it wouldn't just be that class, that we would start in ninth grade with one, and that by the time you were a senior, there would be many, whatever that meant, um, and uh, that was a good structure to start with in 1990, 91, and it was something that you could agree to, and okay, where is science going to coordinate? Um, and then over, over time, uh, you know, people got more comfortable and they realized if we worked together in, in some areas that we actually could get more accomplished, we could serve kids better, uh, we could use personnel better, save money, uh, potentially. And so it kind of, it kind of grew. And I would say about, um, so somewhere about 10 years ago, the, I would say the model really deliberately started to shift because in 1990, there wasn't a whole lot of research or valid research on what is good for boys or what is good for girls at a certain level. And since about 2008, we started making some changes that was, ba that was based on research. And the girls were far ahead of this. The girls were doing research well before the boys' schools. And, uh, so St. Catharines might look at some things in, in science or math and say, you know, the research says if girls stay in an Earl girls class through this level of math or this level of science, they're more likely to take more math or more science all the way through. So we started making some, some alterations. Um, but we have a program today that, you know, when we compare with other schools who do coordinate programs, and there are a number around the country, um, you know, an easy, easy one is up in Baltimore. Uh, you have Gilman School, Bryn Mawr School, and, um, oh, shoot, I'm going to forget the girl, other girls. There's two girls' schools and one boys' school. And what they do is uh, Roland Park. Roland Park is the other girls', is girls school. Uh, they kind of predetermine that 
you know, certain classes are going to be at certain campuses. So they, they, they exchange kids, but they really don't coordinate. They just sort of say, you know, we trust that Gilman's going to do, let's say, history, U.S. history. They're going to do it well. All the kids will go there for history in 11th grade, and all the kids are going to go to Roland Park for Spanish, and they're all going to go to, you know, Bryn Mawr for English. So that we do something very different where, you know, uh, departments, the kids can be going back and forth from one year to another. You know, they might be at St. Christopher's for Spanish in ninth grade. They got to go to, you know, St. Catherine's in 10th grade and maybe back here at St. Chris in 11th grade. So those teachers all need to work together and agree on what Spanish two, three, four, whatever is and really coordinate the curriculum. And that's a challenge because at the end of the day, you know, you can agree on lots of things. It's like anything you agree on lots of things, but when there's no ultimate, there's no final decider. There's no, there's no George Bush or whoever saying I'm the decider. There's nobody there. It has to be a, a truly collaborative effort uh, to agree on things. And that, that can be, that can be very hard. And that, and we have, uh, you know, when we measure it, we have 50 to 75 students from either school going to the other school every period of the day. So there is an extensive amount of, of coordination. Um, I think if you plop somebody down in the middle of the hallway, blindfolded, and then took it off and a period change occurred, you might suspect that it was a boys' school in some respects uh, because there are more boys, but you would see so many girls, you it wouldn't that wouldn't be your, your first uh, conclusion based on what you were seeing in the hallway. Um, so it's, uh, you know, we, we now consider the co-education piece part of the boys' education, that, you know, they need to have the experience of seeing smart, articulate, uh, you know, girls who, are, who have leadership ability, who are, who are, you know, want to accomplish great things in life, uh, sit next to them in class, um, not just, you know, they're the potential prom date or they're the, they're in the stands at the basketball game. But these are the, these are the folks that they're going to have to work with in the real world. These folks may be their bosses in the, in the real world. And, you know, that's the, that's the reality. And they, they need to understand girls. They need to, to be able to talk with them. They need to be able to work with them and that that's part of their education as, as well. So we, you know, kind of best of both worlds is what we we try to shoot for, um, but it makes the it makes the task a very interesting one to educate these guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine uh, that was extremely well explained. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Um, I am bummed for you, and I'm bummed for uh, the seniors uh, across the country, uh, uh, but in particular my alma mater. I, I know what it was like to look forward to playing baseball in the spring of my senior year. And I, I couldn't imagine mm. not having the opportunity to play baseball probably for the last time in an organized uh, sort of big time feel uh, opportunity. And, and to have it taken away, it, it, it really bums me out. Uh, tell me about your three seniors that didn't get an opportunity to, to uh, play their last season. Yeah. The, the three, three great, great guys. Um, and, and, you're right. They're all, uh, this will be their last organized baseball experience. They're, none of them are going on to play in college. Um, and there are probably three different kind of 
great stories. Uh, you know, two of them, two of them uh, probably battling to get on the field and, and um, you know, uh, a guy like Ben Jones, who's been in the program uh, for ever loves the game, but loves being on a team and is one of the most upbeat uh it's all about the team guys. Uh, you know, his best friend is the junior captain in, in a lot of ways. And he just wants to be out there and he works his butt off every day and it's gotten better. And you're looking at, you know, him as a senior going, all right, where can, where can I find spots for him? I want to get him in because he, he has done everything we've asked him to do. How do you find that? And you got a guy like Ryan Bell who has, you know, he, he, he spent a lot of time on the bench last year and he's like senior year is my time. I'm going to, how do I get in this lineup? And he's got a younger brother. He's at some level competing with, and he doesn't get to have that senior year to compare to, you know, the rest of his life will be, yeah, well, we didn't play my senior year. And his brother's going to say, well, I had a senior year the next year. And, you know, man, I want them, I want them arguing over Thanksgiving dinner when they're 45 years old, who had the better senior year, who had the better career. And, you know that. In, in fact, Brian uh, Brian uh, uh, sent out a tweet today, which was a really um, sort of out of the blue uh, thing, and and it was basically just um, I'm trying to trying to find it here. Um, but he, he he was basically since this decision came out, uh, he's he sent out this thank you St. Christopher's and St. Christopher's Athletics for the invaluable lessons and opportunities you have provided for me. I am grateful to have had the opportunity to be part of the STC Brotherhood and will be forever thankful to have had the opportunity to be a saint. Wow. That, you know, yeah. this is a kid who's had it taken away and he's hurting. I know he is. And, and I'm hurting, hurting for him. Um, and, our, and, our, and our third is, is a guy, Rollins Thompson, who – Last year, we've played two games. He's our first baseman. He's hitting in the order. He's going to get some innings on the mound. You know, he's and he is a kid who has worked to make this happen. Like he, he has transformed himself physically. He has worked at it mentally. Here it is. Here's the payoff. Everything he's been working for, and it gets and it gets pulled from him. Uh, that's just. I think they know that it's not anyone's fault but they can't help feeling sad and they have a right to, and they have a right to be angry and they have a right to have a lot of emotions. Uh, and as adults, this is the hardest stuff for, I think for us to deal with is, um, well, well, my, our college counselor, Jim, Jim jump, uh, has said that, you know, disappointments in life are, uh, one of the hardest things for parents to deal with because we're used to, you know, we're used to paving the way. We're used to helping our kids. We're used to, you know, making it so that they can do something. And when something doesn't happen, they don't get into the college they really want to go to. It's or exact that the, the the process itself is out of their hands as parents. And seeing what how that impacts their child is very hard. I feel like there's a parallel here. Like I, there's nothing I can I can say to Brian or Rollins or Ben to make them feel better because I feel it too. And it's just, uh, 
it's just it's just a crazy crazy time and it's just sad yeah, it's very sad. So we definitely don't want to end on a sad note, but I, <laughs> my son's a senior in high school. He, he wasn't playing a sport this spring, but if he, uh, he's still going to miss prom and he's going to miss all the other yeah. things that are pretty typical for seniors. Um, so when you and I uh, had lunch, you, Daniel, and I had lunch, uh, I was taking you back to school. Uh, I think every time you think of me, you probably think of me once every like 20 years, but every time you think of me, I think you think of Ashland. And then I think I that reminds you of Tad DePriest. Uh, mm. And we lost Tad way too early, but you were telling me some fun stories about Tad and baseball <laughs> and uh, what, what some of the other coaches said about Tad. Uh, Tad Dupriest, wow. Um, well, si- similar to you, he, he he's one of those figures that stand out to me. Uh, I, I have a picture of, of Tad on my uh, bookshelf. Um, it was the typical, it was a, it was the yearbook photo, the captain and the coach kind of thing. We're standing at home plate and, you know, Tad was just this, uh, you know, in so many ways, you know, people will say, Oh, he was larger than life. Tad was larger than life in so many ways. And just from his physical presence to uh, his, his abilities and pretty much anything he, he picked up. Um, you know, it, it was hard not, you know, it was hard not to love Tad in, in so many ways. And uh, he's probably one of those guys that I probably said at some point, you know, um, I can't wait till you're older and we can hang out. <laughs> 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 right now, though, that some of the things you're saying or doing, like, you need to stop. <laughs> you, know, you, we, you can't be 17 and we, we, this is a different kind of relationship. Um, you know, the old, that's funny, but don't say it again. Um, right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I saw so many things that Tad would do on or off the field. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, he was really good friends with uh, Brad Parrish. Yep. Who, who tragically also passed. Uh, they passed about a, a, a year apart. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it, it was amazing. But those two were fairly inseparable. And, and I got the, the pleasure of, of being on the coaching staff with them. Uh, doing ninth grade basketball, JV basketball. And, uh, you know, Tad would constantly play pranks on, on Brad. Um, you know, those who remember Tad as this big guy, uh, he always was hungry or wanted something to eat or, you know, or to drink. He was always sweating. Um <laughs> And I remember on a, you know, it was a trip. We were on the bus, old Alvin Bishop driving the bus, you right. know, and we we're coming back from, from a game and I, and I could hear Tad and Brad behind me. They were, they were across the aisle, one seat back. And I hear, can hear Brad go, Oh, this is terrible. And, and Tad's going, what's the matter, Brad? Tad, this, this, uh, I think it was a, um, uh, uh What's the sports drink? The uh, Gatorade. Gatorade. Yeah, it was Gatorade. Um, it's terrible. It, it tastes it. It tastes like water or something. There's something wrong with it. And Taz like, really? He's like, well, you should try it. You should try it, Taz. It's like, no, I don't. I don't really want to do this. Brad keeps it up. Tad takes a takes a sip. Meanwhile, the whole back of the bus is busting up because they know that Tad has gone into Brad's lunch bag 
drank the Gatorade, left a little tiny bit in there so <laughs> the coloring would, would show up and filled it back with water. And he's looking at Brad like, I don't it tastes all right to me. <laughs> and it was just that kind of thing where he could keep a straight face. He, you know, and, and like I said, everybody else on the bus knew, but Brad, it, it said so much about both of them. Um, the other, the other uh, story I remember I've never laughed so hard. I, I couldn't. I couldn't speak. We were we were returning from a from a basketball game at VES, and we're on 64. Bobby Harris was the was the uh, head coach, and he's driving. And uh, guys like Maxwell Wallace uh, and, and uh, uh, Kenzie Larkin and Johnny Sewers—they were all on this bus. Uh, we were on a van, the old the old vans, the old gray vans that you're not allowed to drive kids around in anymore yeah, right. <laughs> because they're dangerous. Um, if you remember, there's sort of the double doors and there's sort of the, the step in. So there's a step built in where the doors close. And, you know, it's a long ride from VS, two plus hours. The guys, you know, had a long game. I think we, I'm sure we won. It was a very good team. They threw these bags of, of the uniforms and towels and stuff into that area between the seat and the door and it was sitting there and for whatever reason some midway through the drive tad decided that he needed to go from the third seat to the second seat because you know seat belts uh, you know it's the 80s what the heck um well being the guy that he is he he stepped on him and the bags gave way and went all the way to the floor and tad went with them and it uh, pinned him between Paul's <laughs> laugh because he can picture the, all day, the visualization yeah. of what you know what what was Tad to whatever you know 200 and some pounds he gets wedged in between the the seat and the door and he got wedged in a way that he couldn't use his arms his arms were pinned <laughs> in. And now all his buddies who have taken abuse from him, you know, all these years, Brad and all these guys, Maxwell, they are just having a time. You know, they are pinging him with chips and throwing pieces <laughs> of paper at him. And I'm in the front seat and just dying because he's yelling, like, get me out of here. I'm going you know, to get you guys and all this other stuff. And Bobby Harris is like, what is happening? What is happening? And I can't, I can't speak enough to explain the situation to him. And he's like, do I need to pull over? Like, no, don't no, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> and so they left him there. You know, these are his friends. They left him there for, you know, the next, I don't know, 10 minutes of the ride uh, until he could, you know, work his way out of there to, to get out of it. And of course, you know, he was going to give them all kinds of grief, but it was the funniest thing that, Huh. You know, today could never happen on a school a school van or bus, <laughs> right? Uh, but that was, you know, that, that was a that was a that was a tad thing, and you know, uh, but I'd take him every every day of the week on the fields because uh, he was such a tremendous competitor and and just a great athlete. Um, I think we were. I was I was telling you that the the Norfolk Academy coach at the time, you know, when he was a senior, you know kind of after the game said, he is a senior, right? Right. <laughs> I said, yeah, because I hate that kid. <laughs> I said, why do you hate him? He said, really? Not? He goes, no, no, I'm not talking about that. He goes, he's like, he, it makes no sense. You, you don't have any idea where to pitch him because he will swing at anything. 
and he will hit anything. So we don't know what to do with him. And that was a very true thing. You know, you, you Tad would hit a ball uh, over his head, and I actually saw him hit pitches that bounced um, <laughs> and get hit. And it, it's like it was one of those, don't talk to him about it. Just let it happen because it was, you know, that was – you know, he was fearless that way. He wasn't worried about failure or looking silly or anything like this. Um, the, uh, the, <laughs> the one time he did something that wasn't the smartest thing in the world, though, <laughs> was, again, and it was, it was, I'll take 50% of the blame for this. Um, but we were playing collegiate over here at, uh, on Jacobs Field, and uh, it was a, kind of a crucial moment. I don't remember the score, but it was, collegiate lays down a bunt as, Coach Chambers and his collegiate teams always did. And it was rolling down the first baseline. And it was foul. And being an idiot and a young coach, I go, kick it foul, kick it foul. <laughs> Meaning, like, don't let it come back in. Because Tad got there just a tad too late. The ball had rolled fair. And he kicked it right into their bench. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what are you doing? He said, you can't kick it. I was like, Figure speech, my fault. <laughs> Wait, so kick it foul doesn't actually mean kick it? No, it just meant – I really meant just pick it up before it came back fair. And then, it, you know, it would have been – because we're, we were, we're not going to get an out on the play. Um, and that would have been – that was going to be bad enough. But Tad, by kicking it into the dugout – now the batter was not only safe, but all the runners moved up two bases. <laughs> I, I think they round up scoring a run on a, on a ball that went 10 feet. <laughs> oh. 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 But. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Tad was a heck of an athlete. And to your point around, Hey, when you're older, I, I, I'd like to hang out, right. Cause you're, you're, you're a fun guy. You're, you're, you're a good guy. Uh, and he has a ton of uh, stories to tell, but he passed away after his freshman year of college. And, he was four years younger than me uh, when I was a senior. He was in eighth grade. And I, I remember going to watch his games when he was in eighth grade. He, he was great at basketball. He was oh, fantastic yeah. at football and baseball. And when he went to Randolph-Macon as a freshman in college, he played football and baseball there his freshman year. And I would go see him because I lived in the area just to hang out with him. And it right. was a little weird because he was four years younger than me, 20, 23-year-old hanging out with a 19-year-old. But he, was, he had this uh, magnetism to him that uh, – Oh yeah, yeah. Hardly anybody he, could fight off. He 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 and he and Brad as a pair, I would say, you know, drew kids to them. I think you you know, a young kid looks at looks at Tad and says, "Well, he looks fun." And and for folks who don't know, you, I mean, you have to picture a kid who, you know, is a, a miniature version of like a Charles Barkley type of 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 a physical presence. I mean, you know, a two hundred and fifty pound, you know, kid in high school but who could run and had right. great feet and could shoot. Um, you know, it's just, those things didn't go together. Um, uh, in, in certainly in that day, you know, these days kids are different, different things. And, uh, certainly in that day he was an anomaly and, uh, but he was, had such a great personality. He drew other kids to him and, uh, was also a great leader. Um, you know, part, what I, Tad could be pretty fearless on the, uh, on the field. I do. I do remember. I didn't coach him in football um, on varsity football, but I do remember watching a game against Woodbury forest. I believe it was his senior year. Um, and Woodbury uh, changed their center at least twice um, <laughs> because he was playing nose guard and he was driving, he was driving the center back into the quarterback and they couldn't run. Woodbury 
couldn't run plays because the quarterback was getting hit by the center and he couldn't turn around fast enough to hand the ball off. And they, I think they took the starting center out, put another kid in and I don't know why he was, they thought the second guy would be better than the first guy. Right. <laughs> um, and then they eventually brought the first guy back in and it was a nightmare all day for them. And I just thought that's, you know, you don't see nose guards dominate a football game very often. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Uh, and that's just the kind of athlete he was. was yeah. And he, and he could have played outside linebacker if he wanted to. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 He would have been terrifying uh, to see him getting ahead of steam. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I would not want to be getting hit by that boy at all. <laughs> no, no way. So Daniel, uh, Daniel's good for some thoughtful questions. Do you have any thoughtful questions before we wrap up? Oh man. On the spot. No, you've already, you've already asked a few thoughtful questions. I think I had one earlier that I didn't find time to fit in. Um, what do you think are some lasting changes of, of everything that's going on? Because this is a pretty unprecedented scenario we find ourselves in. Yeah, that's actually – that is a thoughtful question. Yeah, there um, it is. It's, you know, somebody's finally asking a good question. <laughs> <laughs> took two hours, but, you know. <laughs> so I'm working on that comedy thing for – Yeah, that, yeah that dude. Feels good. <laughs> Sounding great. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, as long as you have a good target. Um, right, right. <laughs> I, I think it's, it actually is a good question. I think, uh, you know – there are probably different answers to that depending on um, kind of where you work in the world, you know, in the, in the field of education, I would think the, the um, this is going to make the public systems really think about their equity issues and how they can get after them so that, you know, if this happened once, it can happen again. Um, if it, you know, and it doesn't have to be a pandemic. It could be, you know, the next hurricane that comes through and, and, you know, the roads are blocked, but otherwise we could be having school, you know, can we do some distance learning and how do we, how do we do that? How do we make sure that's accessible to all our, all of our kids? Uh, I think they're also thinking about, you know, how they, how they deliver food for, for the portions of their population that are depending on schools to have, you know, one or more meals a day. So those are all issues that, I think societally, you know, schools are, are being asked to answer, uh, you know, they're part of it. I think for, you know, um, uh, you know, independent schools or schools like ours, I think, you know, I, I'm looking at this as a, as a very interesting experiment. Um, you know, if we can deliver education uh, in a different way, how can how can that be part of our normal routine? Like I think it would be a mistake for us to, uh, if if this goes pretty well, which I think it I think it will. Uh, our, I believe in our people and I believe in our students. I think it's going to be it's going to be better next week than it is this week, and and so on. Um, okay, well, how can we leverage that in a in a quote regular school year? So, uh, you know, there are issues with high school kids and whether they get enough sleep, for instance, are, you know, is the schedule, uh, a school schedule actually friendly to adolescent um, sleep cycles and, 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 the, and the rest? How does that play into issues of anxiety and, and uh, other uh, sort of mental health conditions? Um, you know, can we be more friendly uh, by doing some things differently? So, 
So does that, I don't know what, I don't know what that means. You know, our Wednesdays, distance learning Wednesdays, and, you know, the kids can set their own schedule on Wednesday and they never go more than two kind of hectic days before they get to, you know, they could sleep in till 10 o'clock. They still got to do their work, but they're, they're in better physical and mental health because it's a different kind of schedule. Or, or are we going to do that in, you know, take three weeks in Wednesday, in uh, February when it's cold and lousy outside <laughs> and we say, you know what, we're going to do things differently. You're going to get to stay home, but we're, you know, the curriculum is still going on and we're still delivering on, on our mission, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Um, you know, there, there are probably any number of things that we can look at that way that, you know, maybe help us look at other issues that we face as schools and with the, the population of students that we have um, to make them healthier make them more efficient and productive to give them a broader array of skills. Um, I think, I think there's, there's some really interesting things to look at. We're it's, it's too early. To, <laughs> we, we haven't lived it yet, but mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, already I, you know, just going through this exercise, I sit there and, and I can see the possibilities. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm actually a, um, you know, a, a person who likes to push against the, the, the the status quo a lot of times like in schools like I don't understand why we go to school in September and get done in May that's a schedule that was determined 100 plus years ago in a agricultural society <laughs> like right. okay we're, we're we're done picking the, the 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 crops and getting them so now it's time to go to school well we don't do that anymore um, you know why do we have long summer break and I'm a, and I love summer break. I want summer break as a teacher. But you know, should the should the school year be spread out to even out learning to give kids breaks to uh, let faculty get professional development uh, done uh, to to make it a little more humane schedule? I, I kind of feel like we're in schools. We you know we start day one and then it's like go and there's this grind. And I'm not sure it needs to be that way, but it's so entrenched in our, in our culture and our society that it's hard to break, break out of that. Uh, Mm. And and, you know, I'm not an advocate necessarily of year round schooling. I think, you know, summers are important for kids to go run around and play to, you know, read a book on their own to, you know, be around family. Um, You know, that's still important, but I think we can do both. I don't think uh, we have to be married to what, what we do. So the, some of this uh, forced, um, you know, uh, kind of, I don't know what you, I don't know what cause that we're not, we're not quarantined in that sense, but you know, this forced uh, absence from, from the physical school campus is going to make us think about what we do and how we do it. And sometimes it's only under the pressure like that, that you actually, you know, move something from let's have a discussion or let's put it in a committee to we have to do this. And then you, you do it and you see, well, this is actually, some of this is good. How do we keep that? Mm. So I I think there's going to be some really interesting discussions, not just our school, but all schools, independent schools, private, uh, private schools, uh, parochial schools and public schools all. Cool. Hey, Tony, we really appreciate you coming on Uh, the way we've, uh, ended the last one or two episodes is by asking the guests what they'd like to name 
their episode because the episode is about you. We figured you should have the opportunity to name it. We're not putting you on the spot though. If you want uh, to take some time to think about it and give us a name uh, later, that's fine. Or you can fire out a couple ideas right now if you want. It's fun. I, I saw that on your, I saw that on the list of potential uh, topics and I, you know, I've always found uh, one of the hardest parts, even as an English major of writing papers and things was titling the paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's the paper, it's the paper on Macbeth, you know? Uh, um, and, uh, but, uh, and, and then as, as I was uh, kind of preparing to come on, I, I uh, saw something in, in, on the wall, you know, my, my senior year in high school, uh, there was a, a, a feature uh, I was, I don't know why they picked me, but they did a feature on me in the Philadelphia Daily News. And the title of that uh, article was A Versatile Contributor. And it had to do with the fact that, you know, my senior year, who an injury happened and I became a first baseman and another injury happened in the playoffs and I became a right fielder. And I had done different kinds of jobs around school, you know, right. When I wrote for the newspaper, I didn't write on sports, but I wrote on these you know, little clubs and what they did and the, the, the uh, sports writer, you know, kind of took that angle to it that I was, I was this versatile contributor. I wasn't necessarily the star. Um, and that's kind of the way I, I think I've, I've looked at my role. You know, I certainly am in a leadership position, but I feel like that's what I do is, is, bring different things to different and bring people together, but I don't necessarily have to be the guy doing everything. Um, and that's whether, you know, even as the head coach, I, I probably let my assistants talk a lot more than other people do. Um, uh, and so, I, you know, that kind of struck me as that's something, you know, not that it has to be a versatile contributor uh, per se, but that's, that's a way I see myself um, and, and like it in terms of being part of the, part of the machine, so to speak, and playing my part in whatever it is. Um, so if you can do something with that, go for it. <laughs> I think that's an excellent name. Yeah, I, I love it, actually. If nothing else, it's a great working title for now. And if you have yeah. different thoughts later, we can go with that. But uh, that's probably going to be the, the name of this episode, yeah. I'm guessing. <laughs> Tony, uh, thank you very much for coming on and sharing all your thoughts. It's been really fascinating. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that, but I, hopefully you can make at least 15 minutes out of it. <laughs> <laughs>